Amen. Well, this morning we begin a new sermon series that's actually a study through the book of Proverbs called The Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, I'd like to take a quick survey, though. You can, you can be honest here. You can confess your sins here and not be worried about being judged. This is a judge-free zone. Uh, God is our judge. So how many of you, by show of hands, actually have a sweet tooth? Did you have a weakness for sweets? Okay, I'm not the only one. Okay, why do I bring that up? Well, I bring that up for this reason, that I think sweets remind me of sin. How so? Well, you see, we're entering that time of the year where everyone begins worrying about their diet, okay? Some of us have our high school reunions around the corner, so we want to kind of trim down our waistline. Some of us are trying to get our beach bodies ready. And so you can meet with your personal trainer, you can meet with your dietitian, and it's easy. It's on black and white, you know, avoid sweets, avoid sugar, right? It's black and white. It's wrong. But you go to work the next day, or you go to see a friend, and what do they happen to have for you? Your boss has decided... He or she wants to honor their employees, and they've brought in Krispy Kreme donuts. Yes, and you see this delicious mountain of carbs, and you see the sugar slaloming down the side of it. And you look at that Krispy Kreme donut, and you look at it, and you know that in, on paper, for you to consume that donut is wrong. It's a sin. But you look at that donut and you think, donut, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Isn't that correct? And so at that moment, you give in and you sink your teeth into that delicious donut. And in the moment, it tastes delicious. But soon you experience the regret, the shame, and the sugar crash that comes along with consuming it. Friends, that's the way sin appears to us in life. You see, in the Word of God, when it comes to God's moral law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, sin is easy to see that it's wrong, correct? It's like meeting with your dietitian, it's like meeting with your personal trainer. It's black and white, it's wrong. But here's what's beautiful about the book of Proverbs. God, in his sympathy for us, comes to us in his word with like boots on the ground. And he says to us, I know how sin appears to you in the moment. It looks delicious. And so this summer, we are going to study through the book of Proverbs by taking a look at the seven deadly sins. Uh, we'll let you know that most Bible expositors are in agreement that chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs are very easy to preach. They unfold very uh, similar to a psalm where each psalm has a particular theme. And so last summer we did a study through the book of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. That was simple, that was easy. We could pick one psalm a week and go through it. But all faithful Bible expositors have struggled over the years in preaching chapters 10 through 29. Because these are the Proverbs that you typically memorize. They seem to be kind of the smorgasbord, this hodgepodge of Proverbs that are thrown together. And so over the years, Bible expositors have struggled about how to preach chapters 10 through 9 of the book of Proverbs. And most have chosen to do so topically. And that's what we're going to do for the next seven 
to eight weeks because only a preacher can stretch seven deadly sins into eight. There's a reason I got a Bachelor of Arts degree instead of a Bachelor of Science. Not good at math. So this morning, we're going to begin taking a look at one of the seven deadly sins. And the reason that we consider the, these sins deadly in the Protestant Reformation tradition is for this reason. That every sin deserves God's anger and curse both in this life and the life to come. As the scriptures say, for the wages of sin is death. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at one of the first seven deadly sins, which is death by lust. So this morning, uh, to save you some time and from flipping around, we actually have the Proverbs. They're going to be the the primary focus of our message today. Uh, Proverbs taken from chapter 6, chapter 11, and chapter 30. They are printed in your bulletin this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word this morning, please. Thank you for honoring that wish. Hear God's Word this morning. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Chapter 11, verse 22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. In chapter 30, verse 20, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come this morning and that he would examine our hearts, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our motivations. And purify us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sex sells, there's no doubt about it. You only have to watch one little snippet of commercials but in the middle of one of your favorite programs to see that Corporations and companies have become convinced of the fact that sex helps them sell their products. It could be toothpaste. It could be the latest Cadillac. It could be Hardy's Thick Burgers. And you, all of us know those women do not eat thick burgers. When did this slippery slope begin? It actually went back, goes back to the 1870s. There was a tobacco company that first used a sexual innuendo to sell their tobacco product, and it's been a slippery slope ever since. And it was only escalated when National Airlines used a sexual innuendo to promote their airlines. And what they discovered was that their sales increased 23% as a result of them using a sexual innuendo to sell their airline tickets. And so it's just become part of the the air that we breathe, the water that we drink. The the culture is the air and the water that goes to the gills of our thought life. And my concern this morning is that it's become such a part of our culture, that lust is such a part of our culture, that there's even a tendency among 
Christian folk to say, you know, there ain't no harm in looking. There's no harm in window shopping. The best thing about looking at somebody good looking is I don't have to take them home and pay for their meal, help clothe them. But what I hope will happen within this sermon this morning is that we will begin seeing lust for the seriousness that it is through God's eyes. First John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. We might say, there ain't no harm in looking. But our Heavenly Father says, oh yes, there is. To add more fuel to the fire, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so God draws a very thick, deep line in the sand about lust. And although we may say in our culture today, there ain't no harm in looking, God says don't get fooled by lust. And that's really the big idea of today's message today, is that in these Proverbs, we are studying God's wisdom. And God contrasts throughout the book of Proverbs those that are wise and those who are foolish. And so what God's bringing before us this morning in his word is that he doesn't want us to get fooled by lust. And so this morning as we unpack these Proverbs together, here's how I want us to proceed. I want us to take a look at three facts about lust. Three facts about lust that we must, must accept this morning if we're going to have our hearts and our minds and our lives conformed to God's wisdom rather than the foolishness of this world. The way I want to describe these three facts about lust is that they are the ABCs of lust. So you'll see how the ABCs unfold. Here's the first fact we need to understand about lust. Lust is awful. It's awful. I think there's a tendency in our culture to belittle it and say there's not that big of a deal. But our Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that, uh, that lust is a big deal. Our Lord Jesus goes back to the seventh commandment that we affirmed our faith together this morning about thou shalt not commit adultery. And our Lord Jesus peels back God's intention of that command and said there's more intended there. There's more at risk there than just the act itself of adultery. Our Lord Jesus says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you've heard that verse before. But imagine how his disciples were shocked by its first utterance. As the Lord Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Look guys, adultery doesn't just refer to the physical act. But it also refers to your thought life your heart as well. What was Jesus saying? Here's a fact about lust. It is awful in the eyes of God. Don't miss it in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, our first verse there in your bulletin. He says, do not desire her beauty 
in your heart. The word, the Hebrew word there for desire is the exact same Hebrew word that's used in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, that talks about thou shalt not covet. It's the same word. In other words, don't obsess about the beautiful person before your eyes. John Piper describes lust this way. He says, lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. Why is lust so wrong? It's not just having a strong sexual desire for someone, but you're making sexual objectification of the person before you. Essentially, you're being selfish and saying, I don't care about loving you. I just want to, I want to use you to serve me. I don't want to love you and serve you. And so you see the selfishness of this sin. And the consequence of it, we see in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, is that it makes us insensitive to sin in our life. It says, this is the way an adulteress, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Notice how all she cares about is that her own appetite is satisfied. She doesn't care about the consequences. She disregards the consequences. Do you see what the scriptures are telling us? They're telling us the first fact about a about lust is that it is awful. And it's alive and well in 2021. It's even alive and well in the hearts and the minds and lives of Christians in the world today. On Tuesday, Patrick and I went to Bedrock here in Bartow. It was the Tuesday special was... um, a burger, fries, and a drink, I think for $8.99. Did I get that right? Uh, Patrick says, I don't know, you paid. <laughs> well, we went there to, to, to talk about the month of June because I'm going to be gone basically all this whole week for General Synod, and, and then Patrick's going to be gone the next two weeks up to Bon Clark and for the camps, uh, Quest and Horizon. So we're just taking a look at the church's calendar, kind of brainstorming together, making sure we all had our ducks in a row, had our I's dotted, our T's crossed before we really basically won't see each other for about the next three weeks. Uh, we had a wonderful lunch, had a wonderful productive meeting, a productive meeting there at lunch. And as, as Patrick and I left Bedrock, we noticed that there was these... Uh, group of women that were walking down the street, and so in a moment of trying to offer them chivalry, we, we, we debate about, okay, we're going to try to open the door for them, hold the door for them so that they might come in. But right about that time, a diesel truck passed by around 12.45 p.m., Main Street, Bartow, and there was a gentleman that was hanging out the window that had a tongue that was dangling like a dog and began to whistle and hoot and holler at the women that we were getting to open the door for them. And I'll never forget the look of the expression on those women's faces as they stirled their nose in disgust and literally stopped in their tracks. And Patrick said, well, that's going to win them over, guys. And I thought to myself, that, that'll preach, and it will come Sunday. <laughs> And so as Patrick and I, we don't, I, I can't remember what even the women decided. They were shocked by that. I don't know if they went on to the Mexican restaurant or they went into Bedrock. Uh, they were just stocked, shocked and stunned there for a second. And so as Patrick and I made our way back to the church, we had a conversation about it. And we discussed about what was going on in the, in the minds and the heart of those men. They were thinking to themselves, what? Ain't no harm in looking. 
But what a contrast that is to God's character. As we affirmed our faith together today, using Westminster Shorter Catechism number 72, question and answer. What is forbidden in the seventh commandment? All unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. And I'm sure if any of us point a finger at those, those gentlemen driving by, breaking the speed limit as well on Main Street, we probably have three fingers pointing back at us. And I'm sure all of us in this room are guilty of unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. See, God's law is good for us because it's a tutor. It teaches us about our sinfulness. But God's law is not meant to leave us in despair. But it's meant as a good tutor to drive us to Jesus Christ. And remind us of our need for our Savior. And may we be reminded of the total contrast between our character and the character of Christ. First Peter says this, he committed no sin. Hebrews says he's a high priest, holy innocent and unstained and how we need him how we need him to pay the penalty for our lack of purity how we need him to pay the penalty for our unchaste thoughts words and actions because in the eyes of God they're sickening That's the first fact we need to learn about lust this morning, is that it is awful in the eyes of God, regardless of what the culture says. The second fact these Proverbs would have us learn about lust and the ABCs of lust is that lust is a battle. Notice we got to be there. Okay, understand the ABCs now? Okay. Lust is a battle. How so? I think these Proverbs highlight two ways that lust is a battle for us. It's a battle of the eyes and it's a battle of the heart. Take a look at chapter 6, verse 25 first. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. We'll take a look at the heart battle in just a second. But then notice the rest of the verse. It says, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Josh Kitchen says in his commentary that in her arsenal of seductions are not only her words but also her physical appearance. And her eye contact, her looks and her glances. Lust is a battle. Do not be naive. It's a battle that we all face and we must battle against it. As the Puritans would say, the mortification of the flesh and killing the flesh. And part of that battle is an eye battle. That we don't let ourselves be captured by the beauty of those around us. But then notice chapter 11 verse 22. It says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Notice that it talks about the battle of our eyes. Because in this proverb, we begin to see, we begin to see sin from our perspective is what God is doing. Notice God's sympathy with us. It's as if God is describing that, that Krispy Kreme donut. That at the, in the moment, we cannot be... Focused upon the fact that there are empty calories in that donut, but all that we can be focused in upon is the deliciousness of how it looks 
And that's what this proverb is saying in Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring at a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. But what is the proverb saying we're focused upon? The gold ring. Obsessed about the beauty of the gold ring. For those of you that like the Lord of the Rings, my precious. And that's the way sin appears to us. My precious. It becomes an obsession. And so as one looks at a pig and sees only the gold ring, so is a man or woman who is enamored by someone's physical beauty and doesn't recognize the lack of discretion. Lust is a battle. And it begins with our eyes. But it's one in our hearts. Notice that in chapter 6, verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. All unethical behavior begins with an internal desire. Notice the danger lies in the heart. It's here that sin begins, and as one commentator says, and it needs to be nipped in the bud. I thought, man, he's quoting uh, Barney Fife there in a commentary. Lust is a battle, and it begins in the heart, and it's ultimately won in the heart where it needs to be nipped. But notice 11.22 The person is struggling between the gold and godliness. Don't miss the severity of what's demonstrated here in this proverb. The fact that the gold ring is a picture of what's beautiful to us, but it's attached to a pig, which is the most ceremonially unclean animal for the Jewish people. It cannot be offered acceptably as a sacrifice. And so what the proverb is saying to us, what God's word is saying to us, is that what appears beautiful to you is attached to exactly what is repulsive in the eyes of God. So what is God telling us? Lust is a battle. It begins with your eyes, but it's ultimately one in the heart. And I don't want you to miss the character of God in this moment, that God is sympathetic to us. That he comes to us in our shoes. And he says, I understand how sin appears to you. It looks delicious. It looks appealing. And it can become your obsession. But don't miss the sugar crash that awaits you if you indulge. And so it reminds us of our Savior And God's sympathy demonstrated to us in Christ. As the author of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. What does this tell us about our Lord Jesus? He knows the battle that we face. Be encouraged. But unlike us, he's been victorious. Before we moved to Florida, there was a gym I would attend in Georgia. Uh, had the privilege of building some good relationships with some guys there. And I'll never forget, uh, one day, guys were kind of, my friends were kind of googling and goggling over some girls on the treadmill. And I looked at them and I said, well, guys, 
Here's what you need to do. You need to walk over there to them rather than Googling and goggling about them since you're all single guys. And you need to walk over there, and if they've got a wedding band on, you need to understand that's a no-fly zone. Okay? But if they're single, you just, need, you, just need to, you just need to man up and ask them out on a date. I said, otherwise, at, at this point, you're just lusting after them. Well, that ensued in a whole conversation about the gym and gym etiquette. And they said, well, Rev, at what point do we become lustful in the gym. If I look up and there's a beautiful girl there, what do I do? And I said, well, here's my advice to you. I was trying to use the book of Proverbs, not desire beauty in your heart, so forth and so on. I said, so I said, if you're doing an arm curl and you look up and you see a beautiful girl walking your way, then you can be like, okay, she's beautiful. And then focus back on your curl. But if your head turns, you're heading down the avenue of lust. I thought it was pretty good sound advice. What do you think? I think pretty good. I'm like, thanks, Rev. So the next day, I go into the gym, and I notice that the entire free weight area has been rearranged. That now all the free weights are facing the mirror, and which then you can see everyone on the treadmill. And I walked in, and I was like, well, when did this happen? And the guys were like, today, about an hour ago. And I said, well, who did it? And they said, we did it. I was like, well, you don't work here. I didn't know you had that kind of authority. And they said, well, look, Rev, now we don't have to turn our head. Now we won't lust. In that moment, I felt like a failure. <laughs> Guys, you missed the point. The lust is a battle. And I want to give you some, what I believe to be some sound, biblical, godly advice from the Scriptures about a strategy of how to battle with lust in your life. The first thing you do, we're still under lust as a battle, is look away. Look away. That's where King David got in trouble. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we, we hear about it came time of year when the, when the kings went out to war, but King David did not go out to war with his men, but he remained in his palace. And so we know his first mistake is that he put himself in a bad situation. But he went out onto his rooftop in the afternoon, and what did he see? But lo and behold, a beautiful Bathsheba that was bathing and washing herself, kind of an odd protocol, but anyway, it was apparently the, the thing of the day. And where did David go wrong the second time? He did not look away. But it says in the scriptures that he inquired about her, who she was and who she belonged to in terms of her wife. And then we go on to see that and then he begins to have relationships with her that leads to more sin, that leads to cover-up, that leads to murder, and so forth and so on. And so we learn from David's life that one of the first ways that we battle lust is we need to look away. How David, King David, needed to look away from that woman, go back into his palace... And write another psalm. Look away. The second thing you need to do in your battle with lust is run away. That's a good example we see in Joseph with Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39. We remember that Joseph was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife begins coming on to Joseph a number of times. And he resists her, uh, honoring God and then also respecting his superior but it says in Genesis chapter 39 that basically Potiphar's wife then grabs his cloak, and what does he do? He runs, even leaving his cloak behind. He's ultimately found innocent uh, in, in God's eyes of that situation. What a wonderful lesson for us to learn in terms of our battle with lust. Look away and run away. But also I would say preach away. Preach away. Don't miss the fact that God has given us these Proverbs for a reason. 
God in his sympathy and Jesus has come down and lived and walked where we live and walk. He's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And these Proverbs are meant to be memorable. They are meant to be memorized. They're meant to be striking. That's the reason the Holy Spirit inspired them. And so as you battle with lust, you need to preach away 1122. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And don't miss the humor of it. The Lord wants you to chuckle at the proverb. Why? So that you will see Satan's tactics and strategy at play and at war in your life and your heart. That you would say, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The few moments of pleasure are nowhere near the tragedy of the consequences. Look away, run away, preach away. Because lust is a battle. The third fact these Proverbs would show us is that lust has consequences. Lust has consequences. I think Proverbs chapter 6 verses 25 through 29 are very important verses for us to memorize. Because it shows us the consequences of lust. Look at verses 27 through 29. The proverb asks, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Don't miss the picture. Don't miss the imagery here. The person that would proceed in this behavior would be an idiot to think otherwise. Can you imagine someone grabbing hot coals off of a charcoal grill, thinking that he's going to hold them close to his chest and his arms not be burned and his clothes not be burned? Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Of course not. Lust has consequences. Can someone run over hot coals without his feet, without his feet being scorched? Of course not. So the application comes, verse 29. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. There are consequences to lust and adultery. It brings shame. It brings fractured relationships. And it can bring revenge from the other spouse. Notice God is being gracious to us in his wisdom as he tells us that lust has consequences. Temporal consequences, but also eternal consequences. Look at what he says in verse 30, chapter 30, verse 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. My concern is that as a culture, that's where we are with the issue of lust. Not only do we ignore it and belittle it, 
But it's gotten to the point, if you watch the commercials, the companies and organizations don't even think they're doing anything wrong anymore. And so I wonder if the conscience of our culture has become seared. And that's not the point where we want to get to as Christians. We want to remember sin in God's eyes. How disgusting it is. And how it reminds us of our need for Christ. Lust has consequences. In recent months, there's been another minister that has come under scandal, although he's died. His name is Ravi Zacharias. Ravi has been a powerful communicator of God's truth, a defender of propositional truth, a phenomenal apologist about the Christian faith. Definitely one of the leading apologists of the Christian faith in our era, if not the leading apologist in our, in our era. But soon after he died, uh, some reports began to surface that he not only frequented, but perhaps even owned some massage parlors that were not for physical therapy's sake or relaxation's sake, but were for sexually immoral purposes. And that there was even um, women coming forward talking about sexual scandal with him. There's been a consequence, even though he's dead and gone, that all of the the valiant fight he's had for truth is now received a black eye. And even though the, the truth about the Christian faith doesn't change in what he said and how he said it, there's a lack of desire or even interest in hearing what he had to say. Why? Because now there's such a black eye on his character. What does it show us? One of the ABCs of lust. That lust has consequences. So what God is telling us in his word today in these Proverbs is don't get fooled by lust. Don't think that there is no harm in looking. It's awful in God's eyes. It needs to be a battle that we face because it has consequences. And so I think it's safe to say that every single individual in this sanctuary this morning has battled with lust in some way, shape, or form. So I want you to leave here today not condemned or convicted, but cleansed. with the focus to be conformed more to the image and likeness of your Savior. But you need to know today that first step is you need to repent of your lust. Be reminded of our Lord Jesus as 1 John 3 says, you know that he appeared 
in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So what I pray is that today's word would convict you where you need to be convicted, but conform you more into the image and likeness of your Savior, Jesus Christ. So that as we leave here today, as Satan comes to us in temptations that are deadly to our soul, we would snicker at him and say, I know what you're up to today. And I'm not going to get fooled by you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus in this moment and this week. We know that Satan is going to come and tempt our hearts. We know we will have a battle with our eyes and we will have a battle with our hearts. What I pray, God, is that we would not allow lust to cause you to disappear in our mind and our focus. Help us not to be gripped by lust so that your, your rules, your standards, your morality fades in our mind. But help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus Look full into his wonderful face. Help the things of this world to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.